So we, uh, as a family, we like to go to University City Pool, the pool over here at Centennial Commons. And, you know, with it being like 275 degrees, we've been going over there kind of frequently this summer. And a few weeks ago, my son Jameson did something that I wasn't totally anticipating. I didn't know that he was going to do it. But, you know, he knows how to swim. He knows how to jump off the side of the pool. He even knows how to jump off of the low dive at the pool. But a few weeks ago, he decided to take on a new adventure, and he climbed the staircase to the very top of the high dive at U-City Public School. Now, my son is nine years old, and, you know, that's a long drop for a nine-year-old. It's a long drop for anybody. I mean, I go up there, and I start shaking a little bit. I, I, I love the high dive. I, I love being up there. I love jumping because there's this sense of, like, you know, first of all, it's like kind of an adrenaline rush because you're not supposed to jump off of things that are 20 feet high. You're not, you're not, you're not designed for that. But, but there's just this sense of, like, freedom. You're, you're flying through the air, and then, and then you hit the water, and, and if you hit the right way, you know, you don't die. You just got, go through the water, which is so good, you know. Um, but my son, Jameson, decides to go up there, and he climbs up, and he comes to the edge, and he stops at the very edge of the 20-foot high high dive at the pool. Now, he had seen people do this from the ground before. He had seen other people do it. And, you know, sometimes when you're watching somebody else do something, it looks a lot easier than when you're trying to do it yourself. Anybody with me on that? Um, sometimes, you know, I remember before I had kids, I had a lot of parenting advice for people. I had a lot of good insights onto how you should raise your kids. And then I had kids, and I was like, oh, not quite so easy, right? I mean, sometimes, or, or you know, sometimes people, people that are not in a relationship are sometimes the best at giving relationship advice. And then you go, wait, okay, now that I'm in a relationship, it's a little tougher. Things are a little, and so this is, this is my, my son, my nine-year-old, standing up on this high dive and had never seen the world from this perspective. Because down there is a long way. And as I'm thinking about his perspective, I'm thinking it from my perspective. And my perspective is, jump, man. You're going to love it. You're going to just be so excited. You're going to just feel like you're flying through the air. And once you do it, then you're going to learn how to do flips and dives and gainers and pikes and twists and all the kinds of things that you do. And you're going you're to love it, right? And that's my thinking because I've already done it. But to his mind, I think what was going on in his mind is, what if I die? What if I land on my face? What if I land on my back? What if, what if, right? Because if you've never done it before, if you're at the very edge of doing something you've never done, there's a, there's a promise out there. There's a hope out there. But there's also a lot of fear. There's also a lot of reluctance because you've never been through that before. So the question becomes, do I take the step or do I step back? Do I step forward or do I step back? Today we're in part four, the last part, part four, our final installment of Wilderness Survival Guide. How many of you are glad? We, we've, been, we've been following the children of Israel through the desert for the last several weeks, right? We've had distractions in the desert. We've had distortions in the desert. We've had delays in the desert. We've been watching these children of Israel wander around. The, how many of you are glad the children of Israel are going to be coming out of the desert today? How many of you are ready to move on? How many of you are, are ready to move out of your own personal wilderness? How many of you are ready to move out of your own desert experience, right? Here's the, here's the premise of the series. The premise of the series is this. All of us have desert experiences in our lives. 
All of us experience wilderness times. Times of uncertainty, times of fear, times of hardship, times of struggle, times where we don't know when we're going to emerge or whether we're going to emerge. We're standing at the edge and we don't know if we can move forward or if we're going to go back. All of us have these times in our life. But the other premise of the series is this. God always makes a way for us in the wilderness. The wilderness is a transitional period. The wilderness is always the period in between point A and point B. It's, the, it's a liminal state. It's a state through which you move to get somewhere else. You don't have to make the desert your permanent home. You don't have to stay in the wilderness. In fact, God said to the prophet Isaiah, this has been our guiding scripture. It says this. He says, I am making a way in the wilderness. I am making a way in the wilderness and I am making streams in the wasteland. What God is saying in this passage to you and to me is that whatever area in your life where you are stuck, where you are stranded, where you are uncertain, where you are fearful, where there's hardship and difficulty and challenges, God is making a way for us through that experience. He is not keeping us locked in. Your desert does not have to be your final destination. Your desert is a, is a passageway into what God has for you. And so today, since we've been talking about distractions in the desert and delays in the desert and distortions in the desert, today we're gonna talk about deliverance in the desert. Come on, somebody, deliverance. And, and I told the first service, we ran out of D words, so we gotta wrap up this series, all right? So, deliverance in the desert. I don't know if any of you guys have been following this news story of these, these kids in Thailand, the soccer team that got stuck in this cave. They wandered deep, deep into this cave, and they were there for, they've been there for two weeks. And these are little kids. These are like little kids, 11, 11 to like 15. I mean, these are little kids stuck in this cave. And I've been following this story because there's something riveting about this experience because we all have had an experience like it. We've all had an experience where we're trapped in an area where we don't know if we're going to get out. We don't know if we're going to be delivered from that thing. We don't know if we're going to make it through that issue. We don't know if we're going to get through that challenge. Today, I just saw that at least four, maybe they've updated it, but at least four of the boys have, have made it out of the, of, the, um, of the cave. And I'm just praying, I'm praying God bring them all out, bring them all out, because we can relate to this in our own lives. We know what it's like to be stuck and we know what it's like to have hope for deliverance, but uncertainty about whether or not we're going to be delivered. We know what it's like to be up against the possibility of freedom, but also the possibility of fear. And are we going to move forward or are we going to move backward? And so today what I want to do is I want to take a few moments and I want to read you the passage. And we're going to kind of go through it together. The passage of where the children of Israel are finally going to make it out of the wilderness. That's a spoiler alert. They actually get out of the wilderness, okay? They actually make it out. But to, to today's passage is so interesting because it's that point when they are right at the edge. They're right at the edge, about to emerge, but still facing the possibility of not making not making it at all. Last week, we, we learned that Joshua kind of stepped forward. A guy named Joshua stepped forward as the leader and, and started telling the children of Israel, don't be afraid, God is with you, right? We talked about plus God. If God is with you, then whatever it is that you're experiencing, you need to look at it through the lens of knowing that God's presence is with you. And so your, your fear gets diminished by the power of God's presence in your life. And Joshua has said, God is with us. We're gonna make it out. And I love how Joshua chapter three Verse 1 begins. It says, early in the morning, 
Joshua and all the Israelites set out from, now how would you pronounce that word if, if you were preaching today? Because I just, I just you, can't, you can't write this stuff, right? They're in a bad situation. They're getting ready to go to the promised land. You fill in the blanks, all right? Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. That's how it's actually pronounced in the Hebrew. Shittim. And went to the Jordan River. So they've been in a bad place, Shittim. And they're about to cross into a good place, a land flowing with milk and honey. So they come right up to the Jordan River. Scripture says now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So now the river that they need to cross to, to get into the promised land is flooded. It's swollen. It's hard to get across. They're not even going to be able to get across on their own. It says it was swollen. It was flooded all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan. Now notice this. I want you to dial in on this. And their feet touched the water's edge. So their feet actually touched the water. The water from upstream stopped flowing. Get this picture. When their feet touched the water, that's when God stopped the water and started making a dry place for them to cross. Here's what I want you to get out of this passage today. Obedience opens the door to opportunity. Obedience opens the door to opportunity. Notice, notice, notice the timing of this event. If it were me and I were getting ready to cross the Jordan River, the sequence would be different. I would want God to stop the water and then I take the step. Are you with me? But the scripture says they actually took the step until their feet touched the water. The Hebrew word is, is dip. Their toes were dipping into the water. They actually had to touch the water before God stopped the water so that they could cross. Sometimes God is calling you to obey him in an area of your life before you know what the outcome is going to be. Man, it's quiet. Obedience is like such, such not a trending word. Nobody, like you don't say obedience and people go, yes, hashtag obedience, hashtag God makes me obey him, hashtag commandments of the Lord, right? Or what other hashtags you might do, none of which you will do, clearly, but but. But, but he's saying in this moment, he's saying, look, what I need you to do is obey me first. And then I'm going to open the opportunity. First, remember when Simon Peter went through the same experience? He stepped out of the boat into the water before God made him not fall into the water, made the water such that he wouldn't go down under the waves. You see, sometimes God is saying, look, we get it backwards. We get it backwards. God, if you will open up an opportunity for me, I will obey you. Open up a big career opportunity for me because I will obey you when you do that. Open a big relationship opportunity for me because when you do, then I will obey you. Open up a, a big financial windfall for me because when you do that, then I'll obey you. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Obey me in the incremental thing that I've got for you right now. Dip your toe in the water right now. Obey me in your relationship right now. Obey me in your finances right now. Obey me in your career right now because obedience opens the door to opportunity. God is saying, I need you to take the step and then I'll make the way, right? I'm gonna take the step first and then I'll make the way. So here's what happens. It says they actually dip their toes in the water and then we know, it says, so the people 
crossed over. They crossed over. Now this is, if you haven't been following this series, you've got to go back and, and watch the other, the other installments on, on our website. Because what we have been doing, we've been studying, their inability to reach this point. So for 40 years, they have been wandering around, not making it, struggling, getting delayed, getting distracted, getting distorted thinking, and all of this kind of stuff. And they've never actually crossed over. But in one sentence, in one line, it says, so they crossed over. They crossed over. They just crossed over. Now, who is they, right? Because we know from, from past sermons that they doesn't mean every person who came out of Egypt. Some of the folks who came out of Egypt got distracted in the desert, and they never made it out of the desert. Some of the people who came out of Egypt got distorted thinking in the desert, and they never made it out of the desert. These are the people who were shaped by the desert experience in such a way that they put their trust in God so that when he said, obey me, they stepped into the water. They actually took the step. These are people who were shaped and refined by the desert experience. Here's what I want you to get out of this. Your desert will either define you or it will refine you. The problem that you're experiencing right now or that you've experienced in the past, it's either going to define who you are or it's going to refine you into the person that God wants you to be. How many of you have somebody, a friend, who like went through a really bad breakup and then like eight years later they're still talking about that bad breakup? You're not raising your hand because you're good friends and you're not going to let them know that you're, you're like, no. Um, or, or, you know, you know somebody who had a, a really bad experience in their childhood and that, that has just defined their life. They've just gotten stuck there. They're just like not moving from that state. They're, the desert is still there, so present in their life. They're wrapped up in the desert. You guys are just, you know looking at me like I'm talking crazy talk, but I know this is happening in your lives. I know this happens to me. I mean, I know that I can get stuck on a thing that might have happened 20 years ago, either something that happened to me or something that I did that I shouldn't have done, and I get stuck with a sense of guilt or shame or anxiety or fear or anger or bitterness or whatever it is because that desert experience can have a tendency to define you instead of refining you into the person that God wants you to be. Now, last Sunday... Last Sunday, after the sermon, after I preached, my wife, my wife is like the best encourager of all. I mean, I can bomb. I can, I can preach a sermon that like doesn't even make sense. And she'll go, that was just great, honey. You're just so, you know, blessed and anointed. And what a great, you know. And she had to do that for the first five years of our church. And then in the last couple of years, I've started to learn a couple of things. But anyway, but, but she said something to me last Sunday after service. She said, I have one suggestion for next Sunday. One suggestion for your sermon next Sunday. And I said, okay, hon, what's that? Because two Sundays ago, I preached a sermon called Distractions in the Desert. And we talked about these, this group of mountain climbers that had gone up to Everest. Do you remember this sermon? And they went up to Everest, and they went into the death zone in Everest. And they were supposed to come back out of the death zone so they didn't die. But they were listening to people who were saying, yeah, keep going. Go ahead, keep on going up the mountain, right? So they got distracted by some chatter that they shouldn't have been listening to, and as a result, they all died up on the top of Everest, right? Because when you're distracted, your desert can define you instead of refine you. And then last week, I preached a sermon where a guy named Chris McCandless, a young guy, went out into the wilderness, into the Denali Desert, into the Denali Wilderness in Alaska, 
And he went out there, and when it was time for him to come back, his thinking got a little distorted. His mindset got a little messed up, and he, started, and, he, and, he, and he made the decision to go back to his camp instead of moving out of the wilderness. And if you remember in that story, he starved to death at his, at his, at his location there in the Denali wilderness. Even though there were plenty of ways of escape, his mind got muddled, and he didn't think straight, and so he got defined by his desert experience. So last week after my sermon, my wife says, so my one suggestion for next week is this. If you tell a wilderness story, could you tell one where not everybody dies at the end? <laughs> I mean, that would just be kind of encouraging. And I said, hey, good news is that's next week. That's deliverance in the desert, right? Um, <laughs> but, but the reality is, the reality is, is that your desert experience is either going to define you and you will be trapped. It might not kill you, but you'll be trapped. You'll, be, you'll, you'll, you'll experience spiritual death. You will not experience the freedom and the liberty and the promise that God has for you if you remain trapped, attached to your desert experience. Or if you allow God to refine you in the midst of that experience, then God can lead you out of it. That's exactly what desert experiences are about. Desert experiences are, are allow, we're allowed to experience them because they they create something within us that we need to be created in us so that we can move on into to becoming the person that God has for us. That's what he does. In fact, I'm going to read you this passage. This is one of my favorite passages. It's not on the screen or else, so I'm just going to read it. It says this. This is from James. This is Jesus' brother. I think I read this a couple weeks ago. But I, this passage is so powerful. It says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Those words should not be in a sentence together. Consider it pure joy when you're going through hardship. Consider it pure joy when you've got a boss that is just on your last nerve. Consider it pure joy when you're struggling in your finances. Consider it pure joy when you're struggling in your relationship. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So the, the test is producing something. The challenge is actually generating something inside of you that needs to be generated. The testing of your faith produces the outcome of it. The fruit of it is perseverance. And then he says this, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, your desert experience can either define you or it can refine you. It can turn you into the person that God wants you to be. Or it can trap you and keep you back. There's a, a, a famous, famous um, explorer, a guy named Ernest Shackleton from 1912. This is, this is one of the world's most famous explorers. He actually, wanted to, he actually wanted to be the first man to reach the South Pole. But another guy beat him to that, so he said, okay, I'm going to set out on another seemingly impossible journey. And he took a, a, a group of people to, uh, to, to, what they were going to do is they were going to go to Antarctica, and they were going to trek all the way across Antarctica, 1,800 miles, and they were going to get picked up by, the sh by a ship on the other side. But what happened on their journey is that on their way to Antarctica, a couple hundred miles out, they got stuck in an ice floe. So this is actually a picture of their ship. Now... They named the ship Endurance. That was the name of the ship before they, if it were me, I would have named that ship Quick Voyage to the Other Side, and we're, we're out of here, right? But they, they made the mistake of naming the ship Endurance. 
right? Let perseverance have its way with you because then you'll be complete. They, their ship, this is actually a picture of their ship. This is 1912. Actually, this is 1914. I think the ship was built in 1912. The journey was 1914. It got stuck in this ice flow. Now, in 1914, there were 28 men on board. In 1914, there, weren't exactly, there wasn't exactly a lot of traffic flowing by the Antarctica at that time. There weren't a lot of helicopters flying over. There wasn't a lot of radar sending out signals. There wasn't a lot of sonar opportunities. If you're stuck 200 miles in an ice flow off Antarctica in a ship with 28 guys, it's not a good experience. You're not sure if you're going to make it out of this wilderness experience. In fact, you might be kind of confident that you're not, right? Because there's nobody coming by. There's a limited amount of resources, and it's Antarctica, okay? It's cold. It's freezing, and you've got these you know, you've got these other guys and you're stuck and there's nowhere to go. But what happened was so fascinating because what these guys did when they realized that this ship wasn't going anywhere, they said, we're going to adapt. We're going to allow this experience to refine us. We're going to be transformed by this experience. And what they started doing is they started dismantling the ship. They started building igloos. They started building bases. They took the, they took the, uh, the life rafts off the ship, turned them upside down. They learned to hunt and get fur and, and animal skin and built a, a tarp over the, over the boat and they created their own little community right there, 28 guys on an ice floe in the middle of Antarctica. They adapted. They were refined by the experience. They were there 497 days. 497 days. Learned to hunt, learned to you know, do all kinds of things. And, and my wife is going to be glad to know all 28 of them survived. 497 days later, they actually went and a, five of them went and found a whaling station and they got a crew together and came back, picked them up, and they made it. But they made it because they were refined by the experience. They weren't defined by the experience. In fact, they, they actually had, um, this part I'm not going to tell her because she's not here right now, but, but they had some sled dogs. Sled dogs did not make it uh, out, out, but... The sled dogs not making it was part of the reason that the guys did make it. You do the math. Okay, so, the, um, so they made it out. Your desert will either define you or it will refine you. Wow. Sorry. I, there was also a cat who also didn't make it. Um, think about this before, before I read the next part. Remember the, one, remember the people who were distracted in the desert, in the wilderness experience? They didn't make it. Right in, in, this, in, this, in this passage. It was, it, was, it was only the ones who God said, look, I, I've, I'm going to build something in this group. They're going to trust me. They're going to obey me in the midst of their wilderness experience, and they're going to step out. And that's who God brought out of the wilderness. It said, when the whole nation, now this is the whole nation, meaning everybody who didn't die in the wilderness because they got distracted, everybody who said, we trust in God, including Joshua and Caleb, the only two from that generation who made it out. When that whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up... Now, this is a very interesting thing for God to say at the end of this epic journey. Take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So get this picture. God stops the River Jordan. 
He makes a dry path for the Israelites to walk across. So the Israelites are going across. And then God says, but before you all get across, I want you to stop and I want 12 of you to pick up a big river stone out of the middle of this river. And I want you to carry it across the river and set it down where you guys are going to be sleeping tonight. All right. And I want you to just set them down there, 12 of them. So they're going, okay, all right, that's kind of strange, Lord. Why, why would you have us do that? And he answers them. He says, because when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Because there's just going to be a big pile of rocks. Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God. Notice what he's doing here. He's saying, I want you to build a memorial to my faithfulness in the midst of your desert. Why does he do that? I'll tell you why he does that. Because a lot of us have a tendency to focus on our desert instead of focusing on our deliverance. A lot of times in our lives, in our hearts, in our struggles, we focus on the things in our past that have brought us pain or shame or guilt or fear. We focus on those. We allow those to rise up in our mind and we forget God's faithfulness in the midst of our desert experience. He says, look, I want the the shame and the guilt and the sin and the failure to be washed away in the rivers of the Jordan, but I want you to build a memorial to my faithfulness. Here's what he's saying. I want you to get your mind out of the desert and into the deliverance. I want you to focus on the deliverance, not the desert. I want you to be able to look at your life, and when you are reminded of something that's unpleasant or, 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 or hurtful or a wound or a scar or a pain from your past... I don't want you to just focus on that. I want you to go, but yes, but God delivered me from that. God redeemed me from that. God led me out of that. God le- because what, he know, what he's saying is this. It is, it's actually not hard for God to get you out of the desert. It's easy for him to get you out of the desert. It's hard for you to get the desert out of you. It's hard for you to let go of some of the stuff that you experienced in your desert wilderness, in your desert experience. It's sometimes hard for you to let go. This happens to me every once in a while. Every once in a while, out of the clear blue sky, I might be reading a book. I might be driving down the road. I might be, every once in a while, a memory will come up of some event that occurred, could be decades ago, that I go, oh, man, I, I remember that. Like, that was a bad experience, right? And God is saying to us, you can either, you can either focus on that You can either memorialize your failure or you can memorialize my faithfulness. You can memorialize your desert or you can memorialize your deliverance. I want to have um, some greeters come up to the front. I want to do something this morning that I think is going to be um, a powerful experience for all of you. If we we could have four greeters come to the very front with these baskets. I I want to give you something. And I want us to try something together that I think is going to be powerful. In, in these baskets are little slips of paper like this, little tiny slips of paper. It, I would ask that everybody take one slip of paper. And if you don't have a pen, grab a pen. 
If you don't have a pen, grab a pen. But everybody grab a slip of paper. Grab a slip of paper because we're going to do something together. We're going to do something together. And we're, I'm going to close out with this, Gary, if you, if you want to come on up. Grab a piece of paper like this. Now, there's something special about this paper. Something very special about this paper. This paper dissolves in water. It dissolves in water. What I want us to do today, I want us to take God at his word. And I want us to write something down. Now, don't show anybody. This is just for you. Write down on this slip of paper whatever it is that you are holding on to from your desert experience. Whatever grief, whatever pain, whatever hardship, whatever sin, whatever unforgiveness or whatever bitterness that you carry in your heart. I want you to write it down. On, write down a word that represents that thing on this piece of paper. Because then what we're going to do in just a few minutes, there are these big water jugs at these four stations. And let me show you what's going to happen. Let me show you what's going to happen to that thing that you've been holding on to, okay? This is, this is this piece of paper right here. At first, it just goes into the water just like a normal piece of paper, right? But a few seconds later, it just dissolves. It just dissolves. It just dissipates into nothing. Today, I want us to write down on this piece of paper whatever it is that is, even if God has delivered you out of the desert, what's, what, what piece of the desert is still in you? What do you need to let go of today? That God is saying, look, give that to me. Let me wash over that with the rivers of Jordan. Let me wash that away for you because I want you to step into your promise. I don't want you to stay in your predicament. I don't want you to be stuck in your problems. I want to lead you into the promise that I have for you. That's why he describes the land as a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a nourishing place. It's a sweet place. The problem of the, of, of, of the Christian faith and of most Christians that I know, including myself, is not that we expect too much from God. It's that we expect too little. We don't trust him to lead us into our promise. We don't trust him to remove the fear and the doubt, the pain and the uncertainty of our desert experience and lead us into the promise. And so we wander around, delay, distraction, distortion. And he's saying, look, just take the step. Just obey. Just step into it. And then memorialize what I've done for you. My son, Jameson, he's standing up on the high dive. He's 20 feet up. And as a dad, I mean, I could command him to jump. I could command him to jump. But there's something that I know that he doesn't know. The thing that I know, because I love my children, is that anytime I command them to do something, anytime I tell them, do this, it's actually for their good. I never tell them to do something that's not for their good. God is saying to some of us today, I want you to do what I'm telling you to do because it's for your good. It's going to free you. It's going to liberate you. Right? Jameson's standing up on this diving board, and I don't know what calculation he does in his mind. I don't know where it gets there, but finally he just goes, boom, flies through the air, nine years old, little guy, 
splash straight through the water. Can I just tell you that when he came back up, the smile on his face, can I just tell you that he's jumped off that high dive like 798 times since then? I mean, once we do it, once we obey the promise of God in our life, we experience the fruit of that promise. We experience the milk and honey. We experience the joy. It doesn't mean you'll never have a problem again. It just means there's another desert for you to walk through. And something's going to be refined in that desert experience. And when you come through it, you're going to be refined by it, not defined by it. You're going to step forward into that desert. And you're going to step through that desert. Because God makes a way in the wilderness. And he's making a way for you today. He's making a way for me. So today I would just ask, as we close, ask God, God, what is it I need to, what do I need to put in that water and let it wash away so that I can step into your promise? No more distractions in the desert. No more distortions in the desert. Today, let's experience his deliverance in our desert. Let me pray for you. God, we come before you just the power of your word to penetrate our heart, to melt away our shame, our guilt, our fear, our anxiety, and lead us into your promise. We are so grateful for your promise, God. We're grateful, God, for the opportunity to step into the the destiny that you have for us and out of the desert that we're experiencing. God, I pray that every person in here would have the courage to step into it today and step forward out of, the, out of the desert and into their destiny. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to put our trust in you. Even though we can't see the result, we would go ahead and dip our toe in the water. We would take the step and live out the life that you have called us to. Father, I pray that we do this in a way that brings honor, praise, and glory to you. In Jesus' name.